0: of Everything is Canon, the Cinelinks podcast. I'm your host, Steve Duncan. Whoever you may have found your way here, thanks so much for tuning in. On this podcast, we invite authors from all genres onto the show to discuss their latest books and novels, as well as just about anything else that comes to mind. If you want to reach me, there are several ways to do so, but the best way is to email me at steve at cinelinks.com, or you can always find me on Twitter at stevedunk5 or at everythingcanon. Today in the show I'm talking to Ayana Gray all about her debut novel Beasts of Prey, which is described as, In this much-anticipated series opener, fate binds two black teenagers together as they strike a dangerous alliance to hunt down the ancient creature menacing their home and discover much more than they bargained for. You've heard a lot about Beasts of Prey, I'm sure. It's been one of those must-reads for a long time now, and with the recent Netflix pickup announcement the hype only gets more voracious. Well folks, I'm here to tell you that this thing is legit, as Beasts of Prey is a magnificent debut by Ayana. Bursting with creativity and a wonderful use of language, this book, the first in a trilogy, will lure you in with its magical properties, not-so-furtive messaging, and impeccable use of language, but it's the characters you'll fall in love with most of all. We talk about the hype surrounding this book, our shared love of animals and their preservation, her very consequential time in Ghana, Beasts of Prey of course, and much much more. While this is a spoiler-free discussion, the odd minor detail may slip out, so if you haven't read the book and don't wish to be spoiled at all, better stop listening now, but definitely double back once you've had a chance to read it. Hi everyone, welcome to the show. As always around these parts, we encourage supporting authors and stories that affirm the lives of people other than ourselves each time we either engage in a conversation, whether it be online or face-to-face, if we ever do that or each time we participate in the market with our purchasing choices. Just a reminder that October is National Bullying Prevention Awareness Month, so we should all take the approach that if you see something, say something. And while it may be hard, it really could mean the world to somebody who's a victim of bullying. And this should be done all year long, of course, not just because the Gregorian calendar says so. Okay, Ayana Gray's lover of all things monsters and magic. Originally from Atlanta, she now lives in sunny Florida, where she writes fantastical stories, follows formula and racing, and worries over her adopted baby rhino Apollo, something I am most definitely going to ask about. She's here today to talk about her debut novel, Beasts of Prey, which is described as, in this much-anticipated series opener, fate binds two black teenagers together as they strike a dangerous alliance to hunt down the ancient creature menacing their home and discover much more than they bargained for. Um, that is... Uh, it's apt summary, but it's it's kind of the understatement of the year. <laughs> There's a lot more going on than that. Please welcome to the show, Ayana Gray. Hi, Anna. Hi. Thank you so much. We were just talking about sort of this whirlwind of yours. Um, uh, listen, if the early reactions are any indication, you might have to write two more of these things.
1: Oh, I. I, I of I, course I I'm joking. To. Yes. I, I definitely <laughs> have. To it write.
0: is a trilogy. Yes, we know that. <laughs> um, did it start out that way?
1: Um, you know what, the advice, and it's so funny because there's so much bad advice on the internet, but a bit it of is. advice that I saw a lot when it comes to writing is never try to plan out a series when you're, if you want to go the traditional publishing route. Right. Because um, when you say, hi, I'm this unheard of author and I've got three books, they're like, oh, you know. Um, so I, I actually tried originally to say, okay, how tight can I make this? Can I make this a standalone? And my literary agent. Um, read. And he was like, I think you're doing a lot here. And I actually think this needs to be probably more than one book. Mm. And it was, it was kind of cool. Cause as soon as he said it, I felt like, wow, someone it's weird, but I felt like someone's allowing me to think bigger. Um, and I'd never even let myself do it. And so once he said it, I was like, you know what? Yeah, there's more here. Um, and then it got bigger and bigger. Um, and we figured out um, a trilogy was probably the best way to contain it.
0: It's, it's, uh, th- trilogies are rare buys these days. Um, you see a lot of duologies of course. Um, but you know, publishers just aren't seem hesitant to invest in, like you said, sort of an unknown property, um, on a three book deal, because if people don't like the first book, man, <laughs> there, it's going to be a long few years, isn't it? So, um, obviously people must've been pretty fucking stoked about this pitch and, and you, you were a product of DV pit too. Right. So, um, yeah. People must have been really just stoked on on the way you sold this book because yeah, three trilogy books aren't aren't the norm, right? They're they're very rare these days. So rare, um, yeah. yeah, it's good for you. I was just talking uh, before actually we get to anything. I do want to mention. I know you're in Florida now, um, and you left Atlanta. I don't think Florida caught any of Ida, other than gas prices. But um, did I don't think so, right? Did the West Coast, did the Gulf side oh. of Florida catch any or
1: well, I'm going to throw a loop at you because oh. I actually I actually just moved away from Florida. A oh, okay. Ago. So I'm actually in Little Rock, Arkansas right now. It's okay. not my hometown, but it's it's where I went to high school and I went to college at the University of Arkansas. Um, I wanted to be a little closer to my parents. Okay. Um, just at this stage in my life. So I moved sure. to Arkansas. That's still related to your question, though, because we tend to get a lot of whatever's happening down on the Gulf Coast, it comes up. in the form of usually just severe rain right Um, Been in like the hundreds 90s here but today it's 75 and I definitely think that is a consequence of just the heavy rainfall that we've been getting okay um, in Louisiana and such
0: yeah Arkansas is normally like tornadoes are usually your thing aren't they um uh so anyways but it's died out enough that you're not concerned I assume then.
1: no, usually our time for concern is tornado season, like right. around uh, early spring. But okay. we're through that, so right. Okay. All good.
0: <laughs> okay, that's good. I wasn't okay. I wasn't sure. Uh, I know, sort of, the Gulf side of Florida was kind of on the just just on the outskirt, and I wasn't sure. But uh, okay, so you're not even in Florida anymore. You're in Razorback Country. That's good. Um, uh, yeah, you're definitely going to see a gas price increase, but ho- hopefully that's it for now. Um, so Apollo, who the hell's Apollo?
1: Apollo. Apollo is a baby rhino. I like to um, be a bit silly and call him my baby rhino. He's yeah. not mine. But um, <laughs> so uh, you'll probably notice a theme. I love, love, love animals. Yep. I credit um, not only Steve Irwin, but definitely Steve Irwin, you know, as a kid really got me into conservation um, and he had such a passion for it that we felt was really contagious. And so mm. I've always loved animals. Um, and a few years ago, I discovered this organization called the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust, and they're based in Kenya. And what they do is they um, they rescue and help look after the orphaned orphaned baby elephants, but um, also other orphaned um, animals whose parents have been poached, mm-hmm. uh, which is very near and dear to my heart. And they do. And then what they do is they also um, when they, after they've raised them, you know, what they have a reintegration program. So the goal is to get them back out into the wild, out into the reserves where they're safe. Um, And so, you know, last year there was a pandemic, you may have heard about it, Um, and uh, lots of impulse buying, lots of kind of despair. And in the midst of it, I was like, I want to do something good. I want to support an organization that I think is doing great work. Um, And so I decided to quote unquote adopt and or sponsor this baby rhino named Apollo whose birthday was like a day after mine. Mm. Um, And it's so they, in addition to just doing good work they really do a lot of great care, um, really detailed. Like I get um, a monthly report about how he's doing Mm
0: -hmm.
1: uh, and it's, you can just tell whoever's writing it. um, They really know him. They look after him. They talk about like what his day looks like. Um, It's really cute. Uh, he threw a tantrum. I learned a few months ago, he threw a massive tantrum. He was sick of being in his little baby's bed, like kind of pen. Mm-hmm. And so when baby rhinos throw fits, they get bigger bedrooms. Um, and so now he's in a larger corral, but they send videos and it's just this really wholesome, nice kind of bit of content in the midst of a lot of depressing news.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, baby rhinos are super cute. Um, is it the white that's been officially labeled as in- extinct? yeah, think, yeah uh, that That's was just last, last th- th- year yeah that was just last year, right? Um, I'm a huge animal lover myself. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm a vegan that doesn't mean I'm an animal lover because I know vegans who hate animals actually oddly enough but <laughs> um, uh, and uh, I begged my parents when I was a kid to there was an elephant sponsor program when I was a kid and I begged them to do it and they wouldn't do it because my my parents my dad who's also an animal lover, but he's also very cynical of you know where the money actually goes. When you you know when you donate to these groups, um, yeah, 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 we just don't know, right? And now we know a little bit more about some of them how there's some nefari- some more nefarious than others. So he was always very you know concerned about donating to groups that he just didn't have a good firm understanding of, right, or good grasp of. So we tended to, so we kept our money more local with animals in that sense, right? So. Um, but yeah I remember like crying <laughs> it was like, It because they wouldn't let me adopt an elephant when I was a kid yeah it was so funny and they, they listen I it, and I don't I don't make they weren't cruel parents they were great great parents yeah yeah but, uh, but I and now I as I'm older I'm the same way about charities I'm very particular because I've just I don't trust them all right because we know nope. I think because we know too much now is what happened um, but um, I'll tell you a quick story because I know one of the influences um, for this uh, trilogy for your book was the, uh, the Savo lions, the Kenyan man-eating lions from way back when. And I got, here's a very quick story. So I turned this love affair into, I was going to be a humane educator for animals Mm -hmm. growing up. So that's what I went to college for and to get student hours. They placed me in an investigatory role for the SPCA. So I was investigating animal cruelty for years Um, Which I can tell you was pretty fucking awful But uh, uh, you see some pretty crazy shit But anyways One of them in my jurisdiction was zoos And there was a zoo in my area A local smaller zoo And uh, the Bowmanville Zoo And this guy actually coughed up two lions For that movie Ghost in the Darkness
1: Oh wow did you see
0: you remember that that movie was based on the kenyan lions right absolutely yeah yeah so two of the the main two lions in it caesar and bongo were their names were the two lions? he he did that he lent these lions lent them for, for for film production um and so and we used to get calls to the zoo all the time people would report them all the time um uh, sometimes justifiably sometimes just people don't know any better right but Mm -hmm. um or they just or because this guy wasn't really a nice guy he kind of had a shitty disposition so he turned Mm -hmm. people off i think so he just sort of attracted you know uh yeah negativity but uh and i'm not going to comment on zoos in general not necessarily for them but uh anyway so i met those two lions from that movie the two stars (laughs) of that movie uh Mm -hmm. and ended up meeting their cubs as well um who were who were taken care of very well? I should should point out because of course they were a money maker for him. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, anyways, yeah. So I read that that you were inspired by that real story, and I was just, I always used to sort of talk about that how I met the two lions from that uh, from that movie. So there you go.
1: That's a really cool specific thing. Like you know, you have those kind of trivia facts about your life. You're like the right person has to appreciate it. <laughs> yeah,
0: like, that's right. That
1: is so cool.
0: Yeah, I've been in like, and it was a weird. I that job really fucked me up, like just because the awful shit I saw, but uh, um, and it conflicted with my veganism because the law isn't like just provides the bare minimum, basically, right? Like, it's I left a lot of situations where I would have loved to have done something, but they were obeying the law technically. But anyways, but I got in behind, you know, I was behind the curtain that I had any circus in town, any zoos I was responsible for. So I was constantly around these like large, gigantic animals that I only dreamed about meeting when I was a kid. Right. So, you know, talking about sponsoring an elephant, I've been around and next to huge, massive bulls, (laughs) you know what I mean? And it was quite a, quite a thing, but anyways, um, I'm glad I came on your show. <laughs> We're talking about me. So good morning America. How crazy
1: was that? Um really it was surreal and you know I'm learning lots about TV and film and the, that industry and yeah. how everything is um it's all lightning speed like something could be going and then it's not going and then it's going and or not going and then it suddenly is and so mm. um uh, they'd contacted me via Instagram because one of my TikTok videos of all things had, had gone somewhat viral. And they were like, we might have you on the show. And I was like, well, okay. Um, so my husband and I are sitting uh, on our living room couch, like, we're just going to watch the whole thing and see. And just as I was like, ah, they probably decided not to put some random girl on TikTok on their, on Good Morning America. I just saw like my face on yeah. the um, Jumbotron and was like, oh, oh okay, that's me. Um, and it was uh it's, it's really weird. Like, if you're not used to it, it's very weird to see yourself on your living room television, you know?
0: Um, a little bit of context. Yeah, it was your unboxing video, right?
1: Yeah, it was my yeah, unboxing yeah. video of my advanced, not the real finished copies, but the right. advanced paperback copies of Beasts of Prey. And then I I knew that I was um, going to get to go to this, sh- you know, on the show the day that the book comes out, September 28th. I didn't know that was going to be on Good Morning America, and then they announced it, so it wasn't a secret anymore, and I was Mm. like, I don't have to keep that secret anymore, Um, and uh, then I found out very recently, fingers crossed, if nothing goes wrong, um, I get to go to New York to the studio, Um, I wasn't sure I was going to get to do that, but they are letting me.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah. So, like, you thought it was just going to be like a virtual done virtually. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, so yeah. They, they want you in the studio. That's amazing. And you know, we were. I was talking to somebody the other day about this. You know, this sort of stuff wouldn't happen. Would wouldn't have happened even a year ago. I mean, we had the blackout women on, right, on Good Morning America, yeah. and, and like it's been so great just to see all these beautiful black women getting, you know, on Good Morning America, getting You're Just Deserved. It makes me so happy as I consider myself an ally. And uh, it's just been so great. And it's just something, it's changed so much, hasn't it? And I was talking to someone, uh, an author yesterday, who was actually another, a DV Pit person. And we were just talking about how this wouldn't have been possible. Like you maybe don't get discovered 15 years ago, 20 years ago.
1: Oh, yeah. I think the the conversation would have gone, oh, we, you know, talented author, but we just don't see a market for this. Um, I'm really glad that people are people being um, kind of industry professionals are seeing that, in fact, if a story is great, kids, especially um, young adults, they are not like, oh, well, I can't relate. To this. this is a Black person having a fantasy adventure. No, it may, you know, a fantasy adventure for, all you know, and there's many ways to tell it and, and you know, a story. But um, that there's, that's not real. That's a complete falsehood that, that there's no market that people are not interested in reading stories about black kids or Latin kids or East Asian, South Asian kids, you know, whatever it may be. They want a good story. <laughs> good
0: stories are good stories. Are you? Know, I agree hundred percent. And it's, you know, one of the things that's kept me up at night all these years is all these wonderful stories will, that we missed out on because the, you know, the industry thought otherwise, you know what I mean? So that's the kind of stuff that depresses me, but uh, um, this idea of, of, you know, pitch wars, DV pit and everything is such an amazing thing. And you do such, you know, your website, I was looking at it, It's really all about paying it forward as well. It looks like, you know, giving, you know, you were, you were given this amazing opportunity. You took advantage of it. You worked hard here. You are, you're about to be, you know, a massively successful author, knock on wood. And, uh, <laughs> and it already looks like you know just look on your website just the aesthetic of it is you know a lot of it looks like you're just ready to pay it forward
1: yeah I I think it's incredibly important um, just because it because someone did it for me you know and I'm spiritual enough or you know to really I believe in karma what you Mm -hmm. put in what you get out and you shouldn't do it just for that reason but there were, there were, and there are authors who are well-established. You have no business, no reason to be helping me to take my calls and and give me advice, but they do it. Mm -hmm. And 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 when I I thank them, they're like, look, someone did this for me. Um, And so, and they were like, and you need to do it when it's your turn and someone calls you up or someone says, Hey, I'm totally lost. What do I do? That's your chance. That's how you thank me by doing it for somebody else. So also as a, as a woman of color too, as a person of color, um, there are extra barriers, that's just the reality. There are trade secrets and things right. that are commonplace among different groups that just, you know, if we don't share them, if we don't tell someone else, hey, this is what you need to know, that information is, is buried and that's, it creates yet another barrier. So um, I'm all for transparency, trying to lift as we climb.
0: Yeah. And that's been a big part of the last few years, especially with marginalized authors. Right. And, and, you know, I also blog for, we need, we need diverse books. And so my sort of my pseudo boss queen, Danielle Clayton has been fighting this fight and still doesn't get enough credit in my opinion. Um, um, Is just, and, you know, constantly says, echoes what you just said, retention, how important is retention in this industry, isn't it? And keeping, like you said, just keeping it going and going and fighting and pushing and pushing and pushing for more. And it's such a great thing. And, uh, I'm, it's, I've never I've never I'm never going to take it for granted I don't think that I'm getting to read these great stories I mean I can just look at my book if you can see my bookshelves people have asked me like how come you only read books by black authors I'm like I don't they're just the fucking best ones <laughs> like, I can't oh, help it. yeah like I'm sorry it's not my fault like I can't help it right like it's not posturing it's just a, it's just a, I'm sorry I can't help it but uh, so anyways um one of the cool things too on your website was like, which I actually, I don't think I've ever seen this and you have a health tips for writers and you talk about a link to a website for great posture to prevent chronic pain while writing. That is so important. And I don't hear anyone really talk about that.
1: Um, yeah, I'm currently in some pain um, okay.
0: because- uh, Talking just, to me? It's, it's no, 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 <laughs> no, It's been Absolutely. that bad? Yeah. No, yeah, yeah.
1: no but it, it it is real. Like not yeah. only being, friend, but being an author, I, I joke and I've had some friends laugh at me because- you don't realize how much time you spend at a computer, not writing, That's right. answering. So like answering emails, being on zoom calls. And it sounds, it's still weird. Cause I'm, I'm not complaining. Like this is the coolest job ever. Yeah. Um, don't think about that stuff. And so I've made it a point, for example, every evening, I, my, I take my dog out for a walk just to ensure that I get some fresh air and that I move. Cause it's pretty sedentary. Um, and people develop chronic pain. I know people who have chronic pain, um, because of, 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 this lifestyle, because of the writing you're on deadline and you sit at a table or sit at a desk for eight hours. Um, you know, and you don't realize what you're doing to your body. So buying really good furniture, learning how to sit properly, making yourself take breaks. Like that's all part of the, like the, um, my husband would say occupational hazard, occupational safety. Yeah. Um, to what you're doing.
0: Um, how is Dolly, by the way?
1: Ah, oh, Dolly's good. Thank you for asking. Um, she's cute.
0: She's super cute, yeah.
1: She's very cute. She's my golden doodle. Um, she is just a few feet away from me nibbling on a one of those little donut, plastic donut things. She's, she's just about done teething, but she's a seven-month-old puppy, and so okay. she still is a little bitey. Like, I still must yep. put my mouth on things to discover them. Um, <laughs> But she's, she's doing pretty well. Thank yes. you for asking. Yes,
0: of course. Well, I love talking to, uh, there's so many uh, cat authors. It's when I get a dog author on, like, I like to ask about it. Um, um, it. Just sort of like real to backtrack there. Yeah. So if you were like, if you were working for a bigger company that actually gave a shit about you, yeah, you would have like an ergonomic assessment at your desk. You would have mandatory breaks. They'd bring someone in to set your chair up for you. You'd have wrist things and angles and for your keyboard and how high you're, like, they would have all this stuff in place for you because ergonomic injuries, like in, in most businesses, it's like 80% of the injuries or something. So yeah, yeah, it is, it is very, very important, especially for your wrists too, all the typing and everything too. Right. Like so important. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's not something I see talked about ever really. Like I'm trying to just, now I'm trying to think the last time I heard someone mention it or bring it up. I don't think I've ever heard someone bring it up.
1: I know at least two authors who literally have had to go to the doc. Ah, three, three who've had to go to the doctor over wrist stuff. So. Right,
0: amazing. So I love that, and uh, keep shouting it out loud because it's something you write. It isn't. It's one of the, just the little many things that a newbie is not going to think of. Right? They're they're used to maybe like, sure, maybe they pounded out their their first book on their laptop. Crouched over on sitting on their bed or something, right? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. so yeah, it's just something we don't don't think about. So yeah, very cool. And I love that. I love, love, I'm with you 100% paying it forward just to do it, just to do it, right? For no other reason. So, um, all right, so a big part of this uh trilogy, Beast of Prey, Ghana had like cannot be understated how much you, your time in Ghana influenced this story. Yeah. Tell, tell me about that and it, not necessarily just because of the story, but just being there immersed in the culture, learning about it and like the emotion of it, just being there. it just sounds, sounded like, of course, an inspirational journey, but not, yeah. just, not, not just because it gave you this story, but just it sounds like it just the effect it had on you as a human, as a person.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, because I went, I went in 2014 and I absolutely did not go like, I'm going to get a story out of this. Right. Um, right. Uh, So I have two degrees, one is in political science, the other is in African and African American studies, and part of that degree, um, what they offered was a chance to study abroad, and so we took, we did coursework and then we went. Um, And I think in most study abroad experiences you have a sister school right where you Mm -hmm. partner with the school and you stay on that campus the whole time, and then they send students to America. This program was very different. My professor deliberately had us, um, we partnered with an institute there that does partner and educate um, people who are not from Ghana on Ghana, but we did not stay, we weren't at one university. We didn't stay in the same place more than two nights ever. And we were there for a month. We flew into the capital Accra, stayed in a hotel. And then the next day we were were on a bus headed up north. We stayed, you know, some places we had bucket showers. (laughs) Some days we were in five star hotels. Some days we were, you know, in hostile kind of situations. And the point was, you know, there are all these misconceptions about Africa as a continent and Ghana. Ghana is about the size of Oregon. And it's this country where there are the tip of the Sahara is up north. There are lush forests and jungles. There's coastal beaches down in the south, heavily Muslim up north, heavily Christian in the south and everything in between. You see immense wealth. Um, with the Ashanti people and the Ashanti king whose palace is in Ghana. And then you see extreme poverty, people who um, live in villages with no running, no electricity, no idea when they were born because no birth certificates, you know, would have been issued. You just see extremes and you see everything and it's all contained in this one country. Um, So that was already a proud experience going as an African-American woman. I went, I'll be honest, I went with certain expectations and hopes, and I don't think I'm the only African-American person that goes to Africa with those hopes. Um, I know, I read Michelle Obama's autobiography, and she talked about this feeling too, this this desire to have a homecoming effect. Um, What happens, or what happened to me when I got there, was not a homecoming effect. It was um, a weird sort of untethering, because I was in a place where for the first time I was like, I was very much in the majority. There were black people on the billboards, the hair, you go to the store, most of the hair care products are for my hair. Um, There are hair braiders on every corner. Um, So, you know, physically when I look around, I'm like, I fit in here, but I very much did not. And my tour, the guy who was kind of our tour guide throughout the the trip, one, one day, I always think about this. We were kind of let out to have free time at the market. And I was sitting down and he walked past me and did a double take. He looked at me and then did a double take. And he was like, huh, you almost fit in. And I was like, almost, (laughs) you know, because I'm like, of course I fit in. Like I, everybody around me is black. I I have pretty, I have pretty brown, decidedly brown skin. I had braids in my hair. Um, And he said, no, even the way you walk, even the way you hold yourself, like you are American. Wow. Okay. um, I thought about how interesting that nuance was like because most people you know you see a black person and next standing next to another black person you don't make the differentiation um whereas he knew and the Ghanaians who were around me knew you look like us but you were not of us Mm. um and i wanted to you know thinking my fantastical like the way my mind works i was like how cool would it be to write a world where that's the case you know, where there's a very obvious distinction between people, even if they look, you know, physically look maybe the same to an outsider. Um, so, and, you know, there were so many, many, so many things but those, those kind of moments stuck with me a lot. It's
0: a real Western sort of like a chauvinistic idea, isn't it? That, and not for you specifically, I mean, just, and really more it's white people that think this, that like, you know, the world is all just one thing you know in, in the sense that uh you know they don't seem to understand that the differences even the subtleties between different people and cultures and races mm-hmm. and and of course they weaponize that and have done all the horrible shit they've done and none of this was made more true sort of back you know in just after uh, in america when they started sending black people they made they made up this place called liberia and started sending black people there mm-hmm. who and you know, after they were you know, quote unquote, freed freed men and women, and they're like, we're not from Africa. Yep, <laughs> right. Like we've never been to Africa. That's not our home. Like American
1: languages, right? Know.
0: America is our home. But uh, dumb white people think all black people are from Africa, right? Like, mm-hmm. and so it's it's a, it's a it's a really cool thing, you know. That I love that, you know, it, it, and Michelle Obama too. Be you know, this idea that is was put into your head. Right. Is, and through no fault of your own that, well, I'm black, so this is where I belong in a way. Right. And correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm you know, putting words in your mouth or whatever. But um, and so that must have been, yeah, that must have been a real sort of quite the quite an experience, I bet.
1: Yeah. And, and to be clear, like when I went, I still, it was still deeply like moving to walk, to go to places of course, like, of course. the door of yep. no return. Yep. Yep. And look, I'll, I'll never know the story. I'll never know where my ancestors came from. I'll never know if they stayed on the, at those slave castles where slaves were kept and walked the, through the door of no return. Mm-hmm. But there is still an acknowledgement that this is where my ancestors came from this land, you know, at the end of the day. So there was a respect there, but I, I guess, I, I felt the, the respect and the power of being there. I didn't get the sense of belonging that I expected. Right. That was the thing that I was like, oh, I, I don't belong here. Right. And I, which is hard because I'm like, sometimes I don't feel like I belong in America either. So where do I belong? And that's something that people of diaspora is not just um, black diasporas, but people who, whose families have immigrated to another country talk about that all the time. So.
0: That's right. And I mean, you look at just what's happening with Afghanis right now. who who are you know being forced to leave and they are being forced to leave let's be honest Um, they're going to end up like you know I've 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 applied to host a family for up in Canada Um, and you know I'm sort of starting to like really dig in and and learn about what I need to know and one of the things that comes up is understand these are people that no longer have a home quote-unquote Right. Yeah. I mean, not in the sense of like, you know, when you think of home, you think of sitting by the fire, drinking hot cocoa, that warm sort of, you know what I mean, comforting yeah. fe- that warm, comforting feeling that we all have and take for granted, probably. But, you know, they, they don't have that. And that's a weird. And so just point taken what you just said about how, you know, maybe in America, I don't always feel welcome either as a black person. Right. So, um that's an interesting position to be in one that of course is a white person I've never been in so it's it's I'm always uh listening to those people who say these things and thinking about yeah that's fucked up (laughs) right like that's it's not it's not right it's not fair all these things but it is a it's a reality isn't it
1: right um but you know I have hope like we said earlier it is getting better what's on the shelf I look what I'm seeing on television and looking at the conversations and listening to the conversations and it is changing so Mm -hmm. a lot of hope.
0: Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. So you're in Ghana. At what point did this did the story sort of like come in? Was it when you got home or back to America or was it while you were there?
1: Yeah, so that was in 20 summer 2014. I graduated May 2015. So um it was almost a year later, but it stayed, you know, it was in my in my head. And I graduated. I had gone into college with the aim to be a lawyer because why not? And um, by the time I had gotten through college, I was very disillusioned with the US justice system for a number of reasons and mm-hmm. decided I don't want to be a lawyer, um, which was good that I discovered that before I did the LSAT and decided to try law school. But um, it left me with a okay, what do I do now? All my friends, because I, I, a lot of my friends are very high achieving people. So, you know, going to med school, going to travel the world, going to, uh, you know, getting their PhDs. And I'm like, what do I do? And I sort of panicked and had this existential post-grad crisis. Um, And I just, you know, it wasn't anything bad, but what I did is I turned to the things I knew In in a world of lots of uncertainty. I turned to what I did know and I knew books and I knew writing and it was my comfort place. And so I started writing a story and I could see it. Like I could see it in my head exactly what I wanted it to be, but when I tried to write it, it wasn't it wasn't marrying up. Um, and so it took it took five years for what I saw in my head to finally manifest. Um, but it, yeah, it, it started in twenty fifteen.
0: Okay, speaking of the story, what's uh, Beastie Gray about?
1: Um, so it is as a young adult fantasy novel. I call it a Pan African inspired young adult fantasy novel, and it follows. Two Black teens who have to form a pretty tentative alliance and enter a magical jungle to hunt down a monster that has been menacing their city for nearly a century. And of course, adventure ensues the minute they step foot in the jungle.
0: Adventure, maybe a little romance, who knows? Yeah. It's, it's YA, Any, everything's up for grabs. <laughs> everything's
1: up for grabs. That's why I
0: love YA so much, yeah, because anything's yeah. possible. Um, I do love, I read mostly YA contemporary, uh, uh, but uh, yeah. I love uh you know, I love any YA story just because, because of, because of the age, because they're not totally jaded yet. They're not super cynical or shouldn't be, but it does point to this type of story brings to mind how teenagers are all, there's different expectations from teenagers all over the world. Mm -hmm. Some are thrust into adulthood much sooner than they probably should be. But through no fault yeah. of their own. Right. Just because of nature, nurture environment. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we've got these, um, two kids here. Econ is it, it's, is it Econ? Yeah. Or, yeah okay. So that's good. I said it right. Um, and, uh, is it Kofi or coffee? Kofi.
1: Kofi. it with a K. <laughs>
0: okay. Perfect. Yeah, that's fine. So we've got these two kids who are responsible for way too much probably already, but it yeah. is what it is. Right. That's, that's the world in which they exist. So, um, you know, when you have a trilogy, it, it's always important that we like or at least appreciate the main characters. It's obvi- they have to carry the story after all. And that's enough. There's enough pressure in one book to do that. But over three books, we really have to like these two characters. <laughs> otherwise, yep. otherwise forget it, right? So tell me about these two, because uh, personally, I fucking love them. And I'm like ride or die now. I'm, I'm in. Oh, yay. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm in. You People ask me all the time, like about people on the show, if we're talking, it's because I, I liked, I at least liked it, your book, maybe, <laughs> okay. and it, it could have loved it. I could have been obsessed over it for sure. I fucking love this book. I'm in like, I'm in for the next, give me the trilogy. I'm, I'm good to go. Um, But part of that is because yes, I, I, I am emotionally attached to these characters now. And even Adia too, for sure. Let's not, let's not leave out um, Adia. Is it Adia or Dia?
1: So I say Audia. Audia, okay, perfect. It's the reader's books now. So however you say it in your head is how you say it in your head. No, you wrote
0: it, so uh, Audia. Um, So talk to me about. So let's 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 throw her in the mix too. Then so talk about these three. You come up with this idea. You know, you know, you're a reader. You have to have pretty powerful characters, lead characters, because it's three books.
1: Yeah, um, and there's there's pressure there because now I'm writing book where I've written book two and I'm revising book two um, and they're, they're growing, they're, you know, they're changing as people. So Mm -hmm. um, hopefully, hopefully book two um, is as strong as book one. That's always the goal. Um, So we have, we have, yeah, three POVs, three perspectives in the story. Kofi is one of the main characters and she is an indentured beast keeper. She works at a magical zoo where mythological sort of creatures along with just common creatures are kept. And she lives there with her mother. They are working to pay off of a debt um, that her father actually incurred. And her father is not around; um, he passed away. So it adds salt to that wound. Um, she desperately wants to leave, um, and they are on the they are on the like the brink of being able to leave. And then, of course. Um, the number one thing you do as a writer is you create a goal for a character and then you snatch it away. Right, That's um, right. Yeah. Yeah. um, And so things do not go according to plan uh, for Kofi. And she realizes she has to find another way to find freedom for her mother and for her dear friend, who's like a brother to her, who's also there. Um, She's very emotional, very impulsive, uh, pretty, you know, and this is like a lot of teenagers unsure of herself, but has a pretty, has an exterior that, you know, makes you think perhaps she is tougher than she is, um, but it is deeply layered and it's holding on to a lot, especially anger. Mm-hmm. And I think I wanted her journey to be about acknowledging and letting go of that anger, literally to, in order to fully realize the power you have inside of yourself. That's something I wish I'd known at 16, 17 years old. Yes. Um, yeah. So she's one. Uh, her counter uh, is his name is Ekon. He's seventeen, and he uh, has also had a, a a tough life. Not maybe not as tough as Kobe's in some ways. Um, so he lives with his brother at the Temple of Lakosa, um, and has kind of been an apprentice growing up. But he's ra- he's seventeen now, so he's officially eligible to join the Sons of the Six, which is the elite warriorship um, that kind of looks after the city. They are deeply religious men. Um, but also amazing fighters. His older brother happens to be one of the best, no pressure. Um, And so he is on the brink of finally, uh, in his view, becoming a man, becoming respected, getting all the things he thinks are important in this society. Um, And like I said, you take take what someone wants and you build it up and then you snatch it away. And so um, he has a series of unfortunate events happen and he and Kofi's paths cross and even though they don't really like each other, um, they end up having to need each other um, as they both realize they have to go into this very uh, this magical and forbidden jungle that borders the city in order to find the monster that's been killing people all this time. Um, yeah, they, they, they,
0: they, yeah. so there are a lot of differences between the two. One's right brained, one's left brained for sure, yep. but they have similarities where it counts. Um, yep. Both had plans in life that have been disrupted (laughs) severely. Um, Both, there's, I won't say specifically, but there's families. Some are around, some aren't for different Mm -hmm. reasons, but they're basically, you know, for lack of a better word, orphans. I mean, not in the sense that the parents are dead, but they're on their own, basically, right?
1: They've had Um, a lot on their shoulders from a very early
0: age. They're left to fend for themselves, right? Yeah. Um, Ekon has a twitch or... Mm -hmm. You know, he's got a bit of. I'm going to just say, uh, I'll say OCD, but that's again lack of a better term. Um, talk about that a little bit, because that's a, yeah. you know, yeah, because just just your approach to having a character with with the with the sort of disorder.
1: Yeah, uh, mental health is not. It, I mean, it's getting better, but it's not something that I think is talked about in the black community specifically right. nearly enough. And um, I wanted to write a story where I at least. I got to, you know, talk about it from my view and what I think of it. Um, and it's so it's interesting because I did not say in my head, I'm going to write an OCD character. Right. I wrote a character who had dealt with immense trauma, who was dealing with PTSD. And as a result had, you know, some behavioral, like, you know, tics. And there's a there's a, a technical word that's escaping me right now for what it is. But basically um, Econ counts and he fixates on the number three.
0: Yeah.
1: When he's panicked, when he's stressed, he counts to three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, um, as a way to calm, kind of calm himself. And and there's a reason for it. You know, you find in the later in the story that there's a moment that actually um, started that happening. Um, But I wanted, you know, he was hardest to write for that reason, um, because he's, to me, very, very layered. Um, But really, between that and also between wanting to write a Black boy who... Challenged this idea of of toughness that we expect out of young black men and black boys. Um, I wanted to write somebody who who was struggling with that because it, you know to admit that you have um, you know challenges in mental health directly challenges the idea that you have to be physically and mentally strong in order to be a man. And so part of Ekon's journey is realizing that these things he thought that defined manhood have nothing to do with manhood. Um, or approval You're, from his family. So. Right.
0: You're redefining a lot of gender roles in this book, uh, especially with Kofi too, right? Who's sort of redefining what the women of the time, what's expected from the women of the time, right? Yep. Um, so she's flying in the face of that as well. Um, you've got a really great thing here with this. It, it's, it's, I don't know if it's, I guess it's kind of, it's not really tropey, but um, yes, Econ struggles and, uh, you know, there's always that nice moment when when a boy or girl meets a boy or girl, and they have that of calming effect on them to the point where they've sort of and then they realize, you know sometime later that they haven't been as tickish lately <laughs> since meeting this person <laughs> since meeting this person. and it, it's it's a wonder it's so it's a really I just really love the the messaging there with how therapeutic there's a great line in a book. Um, I can't remember what book it was from earlier this year where they're like, the difference between having no friends and one friend is like from here to Mars. Yeah. And how therapeutic that can be to somebody out there who's feeling alone or just even though, cause you can be surrounded by a fucking bunch of people and still feel alone. Absolutely. Or misunder- Absolutely. Mis- maybe misunderstood is the best way to put it. So I love that you put in that messaging in there and like, not, and I don't mean forget romance for a second. Just, I mean, just having somebody who, maybe doesn't even understand, but it's just, but it's just okay with it.
1: Yeah. And that's, Yep. And that was deliberate. There's a yeah. moment when Akon is counting early in the book and his brother's like, you're doing that weird thing with your fingers again. That's and right. then there's a moment when he starts to do it again and he actually apologizes and he's like, oh, sorry. And Kofi's like, dude, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. We have other things to worry about. And it's not even that she's like, oh, Ekon, I accept you as you are. <laughs> like, she's just like, look, like, I'm not worried about what you're doing. Like, this is you and it's okay. And then Later, even later in the story, she like even does a small thing to say, hey, I know that you like the number three and it's it's for you, it helps you. And she just, it's small acknowledgements, you know? Yeah. I think sometimes just the small, casual acknowledgement of someone is better than some grand uh, grand display. It's just mm-hmm. like, hey, I see you, um, so yeah. What, uh,
0: what's Splendor?
1: Ah, so uh, the Splendor is, it's the name for the magic in this world. Um, And I wanted it to do a lot of things. I wanted it to kind of be a bit of an analogy for emotional intelligence and the way that um, we physically function and how we don't function when we let things build up inside of us. And so you think about something moving from maybe the top of you to the bottom or from the bottom of you to the top flowing, um, a lot like chakra, actually, Um, and the, so the splendor is is it's energy that comes from comes from the earth and it moves through specific people called darajas daraja means bridge um but it can it's it's an immense power and so it has to be channeled it's supposed to constantly constantly be moving through you never building inside of you because when it builds it is dangerous and sometimes even fatal and it starts to do you know bad bad things to you again thinking about the way you know with emotions and with trauma the difference between letting those things process grief, you know, grief, trauma, um, anger, sadness. You've seen the difference between somebody who has taken the time to acknowledge and process these things versus somebody who has just held it and said, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And it changes a person. You know, it can, it can change their entire personality, their outlook on life, who they are, because they haven't let that, let that go and faced it. Um, so that's kind of in a nutshell what the splendor is. Yeah.
0: Is yeah, that's without spoilers. That's I think you just did a great job of explaining it because uh right. Yeah, and especially and especially as it relates to certain characters specifically, but what what's really great about it, though it, it, is that it just relies on this it's a symbiotic uh relationship with the, mm-hmm. with with the people that are sort of uh, blessed with being able to wield it, I'll say. Um it's like it's a give and take. And it's always, and and balance is very important in your, not only with with, uh, splendor, but just in your story. Um, Of course, you know, anytime we have sort of this idea of old world, you know, magic and uh, root magic, essentially. um, What do you, there's a term that you, from the root. How do you say that? Uh, Kutuka?
1: So Kutuka Mzizi Mzizi. is what I would say. Yeah, Um, M is very soft. (laughs)
0: Right. Uh, for, means from the root, um, very, mm-hmm. uh, so again, so we're talking about rude magic and of course where there's this, it's basically, it's almost a resource essentially. And it is a source of power for a people that have since been, um, uh, discarded colonized certainly. Um, mm-hmm. and usually back at a certain time period in, uh, in the history of this planet, even still today, where there's colonization, there's religion typically. Um, so the religion in this book is tricky. Um, it's, of course, like any religion, it's, it means different things to different people. And uh, talk about you infusing that sort of messaging into this story, because it's very important. I think it's it's sometimes very obvious, sometimes not so obvious. Um, but, at, but at the end of the day, it's like everything else. It's complicated, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it, it's incredibly complicated. And I you know, I, I laugh when people say writers shouldn't be political because I'm like writing is a polit- oh, political,
0: for fuck's sake, I hate that. Hey, who was it? This Andrew Sullivan said every act on earth is a political one.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: how, so. how can it not be right?
1: Yeah. And a radical one at that. Um, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, I didn't base religion in the story off of a real religion out of right. respect to people who, who do adhere to real religions and put a lot of their faith in them. Um, yeah. yep. so this, this is a made up religion, um, I deliberately, Kofi and Ekan both adhere to this religion, interestingly enough, but they, because of their classes and their stations in life, have to observe this religion very differently. Ekhan gets to go to a temple and speak to Akuhani, who hears his prayers and delivers them to the gods. Kofi, because of her ethnicity and because of her class, she cannot go to the temple. So her people have developed a totally different way to communicate with these same gods. Um you know, I think what I want people to do when we talk about religion, and I say this as a woman who is, you know, raised a Christian woman and actually baptized, um, we should ask questions. We should mm-hmm. absolutely ask questions. And I think um, worshiping anything that does not allow you to ask questions should make you ask another question. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's I agree. I, I agree. Yeah.
1: At least in my understanding of my faith, um, I, I don't have a, you know, I'll just say it, you know. I don't pray to a God that doesn't let me ask questions. Right. Um, and so in this world, you know, I think part of Kofi and Edcon's journeys, they are asking, you know, why do we do this a certain way? Just because we've been doing it all this time? Should we keep doing it this way? Why is there only one person that can speak on behalf of everything? And what happens when we when we open that up and allow other people to, to have voices at the table? Um, so, you know, I don't want to, I, I as a writer, I don't want to push too much of what I I think about it. I want readers to get to open the book and have their own experience and feel a certain way. Um, But the overarching, oh, go ahead.
0: No, no. Yeah. I was just going to say, yeah, it's, you're not disparaging anything. Um, You know, you're telling your story. And I think to me, we we just, what you've done is, and this is like, this is just so true of, of a lot of, I'm, I was raised Roman Catholic. I am atheist now. um, but it's so true of so many religions that have just, you know, that have, that were political motivations have come into play. They want to keep you afraid of the sun, right? Um, mm-hmm. And what happens, and this is in your story, is you've got that point of view meets critical thinking. And you've got two critical thinkers now who are starting to question everything they thought they knew. And You know whether they get the answers or not. I guess we'll find out in a couple years with the end of book three. (laughs) But uh, um, but, uh, I think, yeah, that's that's kind of what we're doing here, right? We're We're like you just said. You you have got two characters who are critical thinkers. Like you sound like you are yourself, and you're at you're simply and they're simply asking questions. And yeah the the answers are going to come over time and they're not going to like some of the answers and some of them they're going to love i'm sure but that's why we tell the tales we tell right so we'll find out um
1: that's exactly
0: it listen ayana uh i look forward to next year when you're way too big to come on my show
1: no, um, <laughs> no <laughs> it's, it's fine
0: not. i no, listen it's okay <laughs> No, it's okay, but uh, I do. Th- I just, I, I, uh, I'm so happy for you. This book is great. I fucking loved it. I'm in. I'm in for all three. You, you want to write six more? I'll read all. I'll read all six. I'm good. um wow. I'm, I'm okay. in. And and because the characters are so strong, and that because you get that's what it is. That's what it's all about, right? And uh, we haven't even scratched the surface here, folks. Like the world building is incredible. The language is in, is incredible. The, the way you describe, not just not the way you did not the way you just relay the language the way you write it the way you it's almost the way you sort of meta meta describe it you talk about the language as it's being used in a way that's like poetic and it's really beautiful and oh there's a whole sequence in this book too where the kids are it's it's definitely set second act where the kids are really in the meat of this, of this journey and they run into some people and they learn some truths. And it just takes a story to a whole other level. And just like, just blows open, blows the whole thing open in, in such a great way. And It's those sequences where I was just like, you couldn't take the book out of my hands. I don't care how many people you had. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, there's just, there's no way I was so invested at that point. And it's because your language is so beautiful. So Congratulations, Ayana! I know this is going to do well. I just know that it is, and uh, I can't wait to see you on Good Morning America.
1: Oh, thank you. I'll I'll say really quickly. Like I'm at the stage, and it's not an uncommon thing, but I'm at the stage in this journey where, like, I can barely look at beasts of prey because I'm like, all I see are the flaws.
0: Yeah, Well, I Yeah, yeah. yeah. things
1: I want to do better, and so like to hear you say such kind of things really means a lot right now because I'm like, oh, I I want to make it better, but I can't. Like it's it's truly. 26 days like it's, it's done go she's it's done great. yeah it's it's it's,
0: so. it's gonna be a paperweight soon right yeah. <laughs> <I
1: mean. laughs> Someone's door
0: well that's I say this all the time art is process right art isn't the book is a product I can burn it throw it away I can do whatever I want with it but what we can't take away is you writing this book and, and shedding tears over it, probably and time away from your family and and to tell this story and that's why I love authors so much because I appreciate the craft so much but um we didn't even talk about this great cover, but uh, it's wonderful and and immediately oh. it's going to look so great on shelves. I can't wait to see it out in the wild. So, um, and I know you got to go, so I th- I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to speak with me. I really appreciate it.
1: Steve, it was I mean genuinely, it was so much fun. Like uh, a lot of uh, interviews and kind of talks tend to be more formal, so it was just really nice to just uh, talk to a person and, and kind of talk to a human. Yeah, yeah. Talk to a yeah. human, and yeah. not where I'm going to say something wrong. Um, it, it was really a delight, um, and I, we're, I hope we get to catch up again, like, you know, if I don't screw it all up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't see how, but I don't know. And also, really quickly, too, uh, you posted a picture on, was it September 1st, of you holding your book and just saying how it's, it's finally here, release month, and i got to say, that's one of the most beautiful pictures I've ever seen. You are a gorgeous person, and uh, that is such a beautiful picture, and, and it just, this cover is so great, and you look great this is just a winner to me across the board and you having met you you're just you seem very 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 nice and genuine and i love that so that just makes me Thank cheer you. for you it's going to make me cheer for you even harder so um enjoy the rest of your day and yeah i won't talk to you before the launch obviously but uh, have a great release i can't wait i know you're not gonna get any sleep but try
1: <laughs> i will try uh, have a good day and have a great fall stay safe stay
0: yes safe. Then, yes you too you too there you have it, another episode of Everything is Canon all wrapped up. Huge thanks to Ayana for chatting with me. Like I said, Beasts of Prey is legit and I can't recommend it enough. The book is out now, so pick up a copy wherever you buy your books and head on over to ayanagray.com for more information. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you choose to listen and head on over to cinelinks.com for the latest movie, TV, books, and gaming news. Please continue to be safe out there. Bye for now.